Hi friends, it's Pastor Drew Wilkerson from Bridgewater Church. Hey, thanks for stopping by this podcast. It's our prayer that as you listen, God will speak to your heart and you will feel inspired and you'll learn new things that will help you in your daily walk with God and just in life in general. So again, thanks for stopping by and thanks for listening. Well, good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to be together for this last message in our series, Esther, World Changer. Do you like to celebrate? I've got a wonderful picture I want to show you. It's a memory that I will never forget. This is Kay and I at the Taj Mahal. Yes, I know. It almost looks like it's photoshopped. But I literally was there with my beautiful bride, and we were able to see the Taj Mahal and experience one of the incredible wonders of the world because we like to celebrate. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the last, actually two chapters, chapter 9 and 10, in this wonderful story simply called Esther. And as we dive into the closing chapters of Esther's story, the impact of the new edict protecting the Jewish people is revealed. And the reason is, Haman is dead. We're also going to discover the institution of the celebration of Purim. It's a Jewish holiday and celebration that is still going on even today. And we're also going to discover that tucked within these last chapters are three choices that you and I can make that will actually empower us to move from seasons of problems to seasons of praise. Now let me clarify that for a moment. I'm not going to be able to share with you that all your problems are going to go away. We're living life. Life has a lot of struggles and problems of its own. But I can show you how in these last verses of this amazing story, how we can literally put our trust in God, and God, this silent-seeming God, throughout this story, will literally empower us to move from seasons of problems to seasons of praise. So if you're ready to get started, let's dive into chapter 9, verses 1 through 17, and there's quite a bit of scripture in this very beginning uh, part of the chapter, so hang on as we read. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, The edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of all the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai 
had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces, and he became more and more powerful. The Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed, hang in there with me as I pronounce these names, Parshadatha, Dalphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Adelia, Ardethia, Parmeshta, Arisia, Ardeka, and Vastapheath, the ten sons of Haman, sons of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they did not lay their hands on their plunder. The number of those killed in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that same day. The king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? And it will also be granted. If it pleases the king, Esther answered, Give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also, and let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. So the king commanded that this be done. And an edict was issued in Susa, and they impaled the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they put to death in Susa 300 men. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. Wow, you did a great job hanging in there with me as we read this initial scripture. And out of this comes our first choice. Let go of vengeance and celebrate God's vision. Let me say it one more time. Let go of vengeance and celebrate God's vision. Nine months had elapsed since the second decree was signed into law. Just as Haman had given the enemies of the Jews time to prepare for the Jewish annihilation, now the tables are turned. The Jews had adequate time to prepare for their own protection as ordered by Mordecai. And it was also approved by King Xerxes. Haman's initial lot of throwing had selected the 12th month of Adar on the 13th day. Now God's people would prevail. But I want you to see two specific decisions that the Jewish people made that's very important to understand what took place on this incredible day of destruction. The first is this. The Jewish people chose to protect themselves only. Did you catch that? The Jewish people chose to protect 
themselves only. I want to go back to Esther chapter 8. I know we didn't read that today, but let's go back to Esther 8, 11. This is the second edict. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. I think it's better if we understand the words, attack those determined to destroy them, by literally unpacking the Hebrew interpretation and writing of what was actually said. In the Hebrew, we're told that they were given permission to stretch out their hand against. Now you say, Pastor, come on. What's the, what's the big difference? Let me explain it to you. The Jewish people could have gone on the offense, but instead they stayed on the defense. They weren't the ones who had created the first edict and a day of destruction. That was Haman. But now they've been given permission by Xerxes to protect themselves. I know when you read this, it may seem to you that the people of God were vengeful, but they really weren't, not at all. Instead, they were protecting themselves and 75,000 of their enemies throughout the provinces of Persia were killed because these were haters. They had come against the Jews even though a new law had put, been put into place. They weren't supposed to kill anyone. This is why Mordecai was made second in command, and everyone was trying, the satraps, the authorities, different nobles and leaders throughout the provinces were trying to protect the Jewish people, but still there were haters, people that would come against the Jewish people. Yet they chose only to protect themselves. And this is where an ironic moment takes place. King Xerxes comes to Esther on this historical day, and he says, do you know what's happened in the provinces? In other words, he wants to include her in the information that they're receiving so that she knows Xerxes has integrity in the edict that he's made for his queen. But then he says, do you have another request, Esther? Don't, don't think it's strange. God has placed in her heart that she is to ask that the ten sons of Haman that have been killed be impaled on poles. Don't forget, this goes all the way back to the meaning, literally, of hung on gallows. Now, is, is Esther vengeful? No, no. I know it would seem that way, but remember, they're protecting themselves, and Esther has realized that Haman had raised his sons with a hatred for God's people, as Haman the Agagite had been raised himself. Esther wanted to put an end to all this hatred and strife. She wanted a unity 
in the capital city of Susa. So she asked that a second day be given for the Jewish people to defend themselves. And a total of 800 people, even in the capital city, had chosen to go against the law of the king and come against the Jewish people. But there's a second decision that the Jews made that helped to uh, define what their attitude was in the presence of God and the people. Look at Esther 9.16. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled, here it is again, to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They're not on some tirade. They're not burning buildings. They're not trying to make a statement. What they're doing is they are looking for relief. And then notice this. They killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder. This is their second decision. Listen, if they were out for blood, if they wanted to make a decision, if they wanted to remind people that they were more important than anyone else, they not only had permission to kill these haters, but they had permission to loot and to plunder directly from the king. We saw that in chapter 8. But now in chapter 9, we, we understand that they're not looking to plunder. Instead, our first choice comes to light. Let go of vengeance and celebrate God's vision. I need to be honest. I, I want you to be honest. There's times when all of us have this sense of anger, maybe even hatred, toward some group of people that have hurt us. And let's say it's, it's even, uh, let's just admit that sometimes it's even justified. That was the word I was looking for. But God says, through the story of Esther, let go of vengeance and celebrate God's vision. A, a seemingly silent God broke through. And he didn't want vengeance. He wanted his people to have relief that day and beyond. And then, also, he wanted them to see the vision that they had for them. Someday you and I may find ourselves, in fact, we've seen this in the last two years of the pandemic, where people have had to protect themselves, and yet there are other groups of people at times, of all colors, of all races and backgrounds, who are haters. But listen, we have two choices to make. I want to show you this in the New Testament. This is God's vision for our lives. First, in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, Jesus said, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. God's vision for all of us is to experience the forgiveness that we can only receive through Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful forgiveness? God's grace to us that no matter how many times we've hurt God, no matter how many times we've let other people down, we can ask God to forgive us. And God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. But then notice what Jesus said. The minute that we're forgiven, 
We must be willing to forgive others as we have been forgiven by God. Oh, we have to let go of vengeance and celebrate, celebrate, celebrate God's vision of forgiveness in our lives. We can't ever take it for granted. Which leads to Philippians 3, 12 through 14. The Apostle Paul wrote one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Listen, folks, when we're vengeful, when we are vengeful, we're stuck in the past. That's why we have to let go of vengeance. When we're vengeful, we, we, we get focused on how we're hurt instead of how God has helped us. We're focused on the people who have let us down instead of embracing the people like Mordecai and Esther did and all of the Jews throughout the provinces who are there to help us. Oh, listen, the longer we hang on to vengeance, hatred, and anger, there's no room for celebration. But it's never too late to celebrate. It's time to move on. It's time to embrace the vision that God has for us. And that brings us to the next part. Esther 9, 17 through 32. And we're repeating verse 17 again with a reason. Let's tune in. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th. And then on the 15th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. This is why ruled Jews, those living in villages, observe the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. Here's our next choice. Remember God's favor and celebrate God's future. Now to me, this is incredible. I love how this story is coming to a close, don't you? What should have been a day of annihilation became a day of celebration. To mark the victory, Mordecai and Esther sent letters, at least one, it could possibly have been two, that made the 14th day of Adar, and for some the 15th day, the celebration of Purim. Now, I want you to grab this, this is so crucial. Why is the name still today called Purim? Here's why. Do you remember Haman? He cast a lot, which identified this day initially as a day of destruction. But the word lot is literally in the Hebrew pur, P-U-R. The plural of that word is Purim. Now, I hope you're tracking with me on this. Why in the world would Esther and Mordecai take a word that initially brought, would bring the death of the Jewish people, why would they take that word and use that as the name 
of this celebration, Purim. In fact, that day has stuck. It's only in Esther that we find this day set aside. You won't find it in any other parts of the Scriptures. And yet, still today, historically, the Jewish people are celebrating. And here's why. Never forget that it's never too late to celebrate, but it's a choice. We can remember God's favor and celebrate God's future. What is it that you have been through in your life that's been difficult? Have you ever felt like there was a day in your life when your end was imminent? In fact, maybe some of you are going through some really difficult times right now. You've had a loss. You're going through some tough health issues. Listen, it's not crazy, even though people may tell you you're crazy. There might be moments where you feel like literally you're going to die. Years and years ago, I was in Mumbai, India. In the middle of the night when our plane arrived, my, my friend and I, the chairman of our board, Don and I had gotten a taxi. We needed to go to a hotel to get two or three hours of sleep and then get on another plane to fly to our final destination in southern India. But when we got in the cab, we realized something was wrong. What should have been a simple 10-minute trek turned into 30 minutes, 45 minutes in the middle of the night. And then finally, the owner of the taxi and his driver said to us, that will be $60, $30 a piece American for us to drop you at the hotel. He said, we can't drop you till you pay it. I looked at Don, Don looked at me, and we knew we were in a moment where death might be imminent. Now, God was working. God's favor was on us. I had literally gotten about $100 of American money cashed. Now listen to this. That taxi ride should have only cost us $1 a piece in Indian money, in Indian currency. It was costing us $30 a piece. We were being swindled. We were being extorted. But then I looked over at Don and I said, I think your life is worth $30. Don't you think my life is worth $30? And we paid the money and, got, and we got out of the, the taxi and we knew that we had been saved. I could not wait to get on the phone and call Kay because I knew that God had broken his silence. I knew that God was with us. And what a wonderful ministry we had throughout all of southern India. Why? Because what the enemy intended for evil, God intended for good. Look at Esther 9.17 again. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. The word joy literally is translated good. It was a good day. When was the last time you had a good day. Even in the midst of struggle, especially in the midst of the struggles, when was the last time you took 
a day that you didn't want to remember or recall, and you said, this is going to be a memorial day. This is going to be a day of celebration. Now, this comes with a note. I, I want to get back to this. But just remember, God doesn't want our memorials to become monuments. I, I've seen that too many times, even in the life of the church. And in one of the first churches I was pastoring, we went to paint the walls and took a sign down with someone's name on it who had been an intricate part of teaching children. Wonderful woman. I heard her legacy was incredible. But the moment that we took the plaque down, people were mad, people were upset. Listen, the legacy of that woman wasn't in a piece of wood. God isn't wanting us to take our memorials and make the monuments, but God does want us to stop and remember his favor, to have a memorial of God's blessing, to give glory and honor to God. That's what Purim does for Jewish people today. They remember that they were saved by the hand of God. He wasn't absent even though he was silent. God was present. And that's what you and I need to do. We need to remember God's favor and celebrate God's future. And I'm challenging you to do that. Think of the moments where you have felt or you are feeling where things are spiraling out of control. Remember that God is with you, and if God is with us, he cannot, no one can be against us. And we need to have a celebration. It's never too late to celebrate the favor of God and his future for us. When we put our trust in God, we have a future waiting on us that leads to Esther chapter 10, verses one through three. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores. And all his acts of power and might together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai, the Jew, was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many follow, fellow Jews, because he worked for the good of his people, and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Here's our third choice. Trust in God's purpose and celebrate God's plan. It is never too late to celebrate. Trust in God's purpose and then choose to celebrate God's plan. Just as the book of Esther began with a description of Xerxes' power and influence, the end of this book, the end of this story, shows that Xerxes is, is creating a tribute or a tax throughout all the provinces. But 10 chapters later, we realize that it isn't Haman that was in control. It wasn't Xerxes that was in control. It was God. Only God had an unbelievable path forward for his people. Out of hundreds of women who have, could have been chosen as queen, Esther, a young Jewish girl, became the queen. Haman, who appeared as if his evil plot would win out, was removed from the picture. And what would have been a national day of grieving became a national 
and at historical day of celebration. And before we close this life-changing story, think about Mordecai. Mordecai was faithful. In fact, this is how I look at the story. Esther is the heroine of the story, but Mordecai was the glue that held it together. Mordecai is known, and look at how Scripture refers to him. He's a trusted leader, second in rank to Xerxes. He's a distinguished Jewish leader, and he was held in high esteem by all of God's people. And there's an explanation for the reason of this in chapter 10. He worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Mordecai was selfless. He cared about others more than he cared about himself. Why? Because all along, he was the constant common denominator that gave encouragement to his adopted daughter, Esther. He was the constant common denominator that continued to pray, to fast, and hold God's people together. Why? Because he trusted in God's purpose for God's people. And he celebrated God's plan. Listen, we need to trust in God's purpose today for our lives. We need to trust in God's purpose for Bridgewater Church. We need to celebrate God's plan. Too many times we get vengeful. Too many times we're focused on what we've lost instead of what we've gained. Sometimes when things change in our lives, as hard and difficult as they are, some of the greatest gains take place. In fact, even in this life, if we know Jesus as our Savior, the greatest day of celebration came on Easter. The greatest day of celebration came when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but then rose again on the third day. That's what it means to celebrate God's purpose and to celebrate God's plan. We're, we're not created for this world forever. We're created by God to put our faith in him, trust in Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the Jewish people, our Messiah as Gentiles, the Savior of the world. And then, someday we will see Christ face to face. In fact, you remember how I asked you to create a memorial? I think one of the greatest memorials God has ever given to us is communion. Now, I know we're online together, friends, but I want to encourage you to do something as soon as I pray for us. I want to encourage you to go get a wafer, a cracker, a piece of bread, and some type of juice, some type of, of drink, where you can have a quiet moment to celebrate with us the close of this incredible story of Esther the world changer. But I want you to have time, if you know Christ as your Savior, I want you to do in remembrance, as Jesus said, go get that juice. Go and get that cracker or that bread. And be reminded that the greatest celebration of all is the celebration of Easter. And someday, 
will be in his presence face to face. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this incredible story. Thank you for the ability that we have to put all of our faith in you. God, I'm so thankful for how the story of Esther reminds us that we don't have to be people that become caught up in the past, vengeance or hate, but instead in love and grace, we can become people of God that give you glory and honor. We can put our faith and our trust in you because God, you saved the Jewish people. Praise God. So that the Messiah might come and that that Savior would not just be for all of Israel, but Jesus would save those, anyone who would believe in him. For God so loved the world, you gave us your only son, that anyone who would believe in you, Jesus, you would give us, and you will give us eternal life. Help us to become world changers like Esther. And God, may we remember, it's time to celebrate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you. You're amazing. Please go and take a few moments to spend with God and thank Jesus for his gift of life. And until we see each other again, take heart and be transformed. Hey friends, thanks for listening. And if you want to be a part of our e-family, then all you have to do to join us is click the link below and you can check us out on our YouTube page. You can also join us on social media. And if you'd like to support the ministry, then just click the link to give. We're so grateful for all of our partners and together we can do more than we can alone. So again, thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast and also thank you for helping us reach people around the world for Jesus Christ.